Greetings, everyone. We're here today with our good friend, author Mark Bannon. Mark's new book, The Boy from the Cave, is a soul-stirring journey from hopelessness to faith. Mark is an author, mentor, and guide who's dedicated to empowering individuals to overcome life's hardships, navigate challenges, and rise above the constant noise of the world. Drawing from his own journey of triumph over hopelessness and discovering the life-altering gift of faith, Mark's writings inspire readers through powerful storytelling and encouragement, while his mentorship provides tailored guidance for personal growth and resilience. Mark lives in Colorado with his loving wife, Amy, and has two grown children and a beautiful granddaughter. He draws inspiration through his faith and from treks in the foothills as he shares his transforming journey and empowers individuals to unlock their true potential. You can learn more at markabannon.com. So this is Mark's book. Um, it's it's phenomenal. You you won't be able to put it down when you when you start reading it. I can guarantee you that. Um, Mark, it's so good to have you with us, and uh, thanks so much for sharing your journey in the book and being with us here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And... <laughs> so we're going to talk about two different things. We're going to talk about Mark's book, and then we're going to talk about kind of the whole uh, topic of find your next calling. Um, uh, I recently. Uh, started that effort again and uh you know mark was kind enough to you know agree to talk with us about that because as you'll hear in our talk and see through reading the book mark kind of found his next calling a couple of different times in his life in different ways. <laughs> a few um, different times <laughs> and um uh the, the, this book is uh almost surreal um it, it's an amazing story and um maybe could you give everyone just kind of a thumbnail overview to set the context, you know, for the rest of our conversation. Sure, sure. Well, the, the book is a memoir and it's a, it's a story of, it's my particular story, which had some very interesting twists and turns. So at a minimum, I promise the reader they'll be entertained. It's kind of a bizarre story of life being thrown on its head at a very young age and some pretty good hardships and so forth. But 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 really, Brian, it's a it's it's really our collective story of overcoming adversity. And, you know, everyone in life will face at some point some sense, some place of adversity, uh, oftentimes even hopelessness or in whatever form that that might come. So this book is really a story about hope. It's a story about perseverance, endurance, overcoming and ultimately Ultimately, it's a story about faith and it's a story about grace and how through whatever we're going through, there's always, you know, there's always some grace that we can find in it. And usually a lot of grace that we'll find in it sort of in often in retrospect in my case. But, you know, we, we find that eventually. So, yeah, it's it's our collective story in life and uh, it's a come along story. Uh, I wrote it through the perspective of the age I was at when things were happening and the lens that I was seeing the world through at that age. So as opposed to writing it from, you know, where I am today as an adult with everything I know, I sort of carried the reader through this story of, where, you know, what that perspective was of where I was and what I knew at that time and point in life. So, yeah, that's... That, that, that was really important because, you know, part of the book was when you were pretty young. And part of the book was, you know, kind of as you were a young adult, so to speak, you know, and, and most of us, you know, that are further along do have a much different perspective on life than yeah. we did at either one of those stages, as uh, as you uh, discussed. So, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, but sure. the book is, you know, divided into three sections, which is great. And it's basically the cave is the first, yeah. and then wandering, <laughs> uh, broadly speaking, and then find. Right. So, um, can you talk about, you know, a little bit about each one of those sections? Yeah. So the story, the boy from the cave, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a literal cave and it's a figurative cage cave. So when I was very young, that first start of the uh, first part of the book brings the reader through what had happened when my life was thrown on its head, and we found ourselves living in poverty in a cement bunker in the woods of New Hampshire. And it was in it was in the winter in the late sixties, nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy. And I was eight years old when we first went there, nine years old in that range, and went from a perfect little life of normal life with you know upper middle class or middle class, whatever you might call it, normal living, and then into this sudden poverty and challenge. Um, so the first part of the book is that sort of adversity and setting the tone <clears throat> for a trauma that happened that I didn't even realize was a trauma at the time. And, and the second part of the book is when I ran away from home at 15 years old in the beginning of my 10th grade year in high school and went out into the world. And I call that, you know, 40 years of wandering because it literally was from the age of 15 to 55 years old that I had much wandering. I had many good achievements in life, many good successes, plenty of failure, epic failures. You know, I was really good at that. And, um, and a lot of interesting stories. But the first part of the book, that trauma and unmet trauma, things that like I made a decision at the point that I ran away, that this thing that happened to me was behind me. It was in my rear view mirror. I was never looking back. I was never going back. And I just moved forward into life and, and into some pretty good stages of recklessness in the process of it. So the second part of the book is that going from that traumatic inciting incident of life into this 40 years of wandering. And then the last part of the book is sort of coming home, coming full circle and reconciling, closing that big story loop of life, so to speak. And so that's how the, the book breaks down into the into the three parts. So, you know, it's really incredible that you survived it all. <laughs> and, you know, one of the uh, dramatic aspects of it was your father. I mean, the impact that yeah. your dad had on all of this. Um, and that had to take a while for you to come to grips with. It, it did. It took, a, it took a long while to come to grips with. I mean, as I mentioned, we had this sort of normal life that was typical. My dad was a post-World War II veteran. He came back. He got this great job. He met my mom, who was an, just an amazing, beautiful woman, Portuguese woman. And he had you know, raised a family, had five kids. I'm the youngest of five. And we lived in suburbia, suburbia Turbia, and you know, all, the, all the little the, the stuff that you, the check boxes that you did. And then it was on his 40th birthday that he had, I guess I call it a midlife crisis. Cause at the time I was just a young child, but, but he sold everything, quit everything and bought 85 acres of woods in New Hampshire and moved us up there. Now it, it, it he had this idea, right? That he wanted to provide a better life for his kids. I didn't know that then. 
In fact, I didn't know it till after I helped him leave this earth when you know, in 2014, when he was 84 years old and I was a 40, whatever old, 45 year old, you know, man. Um, but but it's 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 it was this writing the book was very cathartic because I was able to sort of reconcile that and see, um, you know, uh, that we live in this world of contradiction and and we spend our life sometimes trying to reconcile contradictions. So uh, and we tend to pick our camp, I think we find in life. And so at that point that the things were happening, I looked at it at my father was pretty tough. He was a tough guy and, you know, he could be mean at times. Um, so you look at that as a child. And when I ran away and I was just like uh, trying to reconcile with how could he do this to us and blah, blah, blah. And then on the other side, there's this contradiction that he was also a man of incredible integrity and he was a man of great work ethic and he was a man of faith and he was a, he had all these other attributes and i could never reconcile like i never could see that part of him until maybe i made a lot of the same mistakes or choices that he made hmm. and you realize that that both were true you know he was that person that created this uh incredible conflict trauma and these things that I carried with me for decades. But on the other side, the, the other part of him was also he gave me everything uh, that that I could ask for in terms of that integrity and that sort of ambition and drive and faith and just endurance, that capability to endure. So mm. both are true. It was an interesting, interesting thing to reconcile with. <laughs> but I have a lot of gratitude for him. We'll let people read the book to find out the rest of the details around all that, but it's 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 incredible. Uh, that's all I can say. <laughs> so, um, you know, as you mentioned a minute ago, you you through your you know wandering phase had several significant financial successes and several crashes. You know, uh, financial business crashes. I mean, what was that roller coaster like? <laughs> it was uh it was it, it was interesting <laughs> it was interesting it was this funny uh weird thing that i had with uh uh you know when i ran away i was determined to go off into life and never be put in a position that i was in where a rug could be pulled out from under my feet uh so so i had this thing of this self i was going to control it i was going to take charge of it I, you know you take no prisoners you go through life i'm going to achieve this this and this and i would go off and with this incredible work ethic or almost probably dysfunctional work ethic 80 hour weeks and crazy schedules i would work 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 and i would you know have i enjoyed some great successes from that work and from that care and paying attention to the detail and all of that stuff. But every time I got to that place, I was empty and it didn't fill whatever void it was that I needed filled in my life. And I have this, and I still have this sort of, again, this contradiction with the, with money and so forth. You know, on the one hand, it's great. We need it. We have to live. We have to pay bills. On the other hand, it represented when we lost money and we lived with shame and poverty and <clears throat> embarrassment and what have you, it really focused me. I really have this, this, this interesting view of money that I've seen it do so much good, yet I've seen it do so much harm. 
you know, the, the misuse of money, the greed of money, the, and, and people just doing anything for money. So when I'd have these things of success and I'd have this money, I had this weird sort of guilty feeling about it. I had this sort of disdain. I had this sort of like, what does that mean? All of a sudden, you know, you're, you're special, you're important because you're successful, but I'm the same person as I was when I wasn't successful, you know? So, so that was sort of my thing. So I would be unhappy in that success. I wasn't content. The money didn't fulfill me, the positions, the possessions, the titles. And I was in search. I was in search for meaning. I was a lost boy that was searching for purpose in life. So I would kind of just blow up that bridge and say, nah, this isn't it. I'm going to go here, you know, and I'd be looking to find my next calling, but (laughs) well, it's, Part of that journey, you tried several different religions and different self-help, you know, kinds of things. Um, what um, what was that like? <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, honestly, I, 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 there were parts, there was much that I left out of the book, believe it or not, as much as in there. <laughs> and it was with this sort of tongue-in-cheek that I put some of these stories because, yeah, I mean, I literally tried everything. I was felt so... Um, needing, I, I felt this drive in me that, you know, y- you were created for a reason. You survived these things that you survived for a reason. I could feel it. I could taste it, but I could never touch it. And, and it was always to me looking forward. It was like, don't look back, look forward, you know, just, just rearview mirror. You're not that person. Don't talk about it. Just move forward kind of thing. Um, And I tried everything. I, you know, you'll read in the book that I, tried numbing myself with anything that was possible to numb myself, whether that was substances or whether that was recklessness and, and adrenaline things, whatever it was, I tried something just to, to prove this sort of that I don't care or that I'm invincible or whatever it was that was not serving me. Um, and, and at, and at a certain point, I, uh, my life was in a really rough place. I was in the middle of my life, a beautiful marriage. And I'm, you know, so blessed to be married for 37 years today to this amazing woman who saw in me obviously stuff that I didn't see in me at the time and and you know stuck in there and you know there was a lot of good in it I, I have two beautiful children we have these memories of these nice family things and all of that stuff but through within it all I was just not content and I was not fulfilled and then I I started becoming pretty unhealthy physically unhealthy in my in, in my 30s I, I actually I joke I got turned down for life insurance when I was 31 years old <laughs> Because they ran this logarithm and said, dude, <laughs> yeah, you, we aren't insuring you, Too much risk. you know, so I'm like it was bad. So all of a sudden I came across this, you know, a lot of self-help books and this Eastern philosophies of, hey, wait a minute, you know, slow down, change your diet, meditate, you know, uh, start getting out in nature. And they were really, honestly, uh, tremendous things. They impacted my health. At my mental and physical health in a, in a great way, uh, I started meditating. And then the more I started doing it, I'm a very, you know, I'm an all or nothing person. So if I'm going to do this, I'm going all the way in. So before I knew it, and you'll read in the book, I won't go into tremendous detail, but I went into a 16-year jaunt into Eastern philosophies. And I tried, you know, shamanism, Taoism, Buddhism, and I ended up on Hinduism and really, really liked it, really resonated with this sort of message. 
So I dove in and studied. I read the Bhagavad Gita. I read the uh, 108 ancient Upanishads and studied them. I learned some Sanskrit. I got certified as a meditation instructor and an Ayurvedic health instructor. I got tattoos of Hindu <laughs> gods on my body. I did whatever. <laughs> I hiked in the Himalayan mountains. I stayed in the ashrams. I even dunked in the Ganji River. I was going to do anything to get enlightened and to do this. And I have to say that that it brought me 80% of the way there. I started being conscious of breathing and meditating and bonding with nature and exercise and different diet. And I, I lost weight. My blood pressure went into control. My cholesterol climbed down. And I was gratefully easy to get insurance. You got plenty of life insurance <laughs> at that point. So it did a lot of really good things for me. Yet I woke up still late in life in my 50s still saying, something missing I, I i i'm just there's something more and i can feel it but i just can't reach it i can't find it but you finally so, did i did so I did. tell people about that so in a very humorous story I, I i was with a guy from india who had this incredible glow to him and i was looking at this guy and spending all this time with him i started we were working sort of side by side and and i looked at him i'm like man you you're just so you you are you're so he just had this peace he like had he just glowed with this and he just had peace so I worked side by side and I, you know, we would tell, asked him all about his life and his upbringing. He told me and I would tell him about all the things I just told you. I did this and this and I read the Upanishads and 4 a.m. and meditating. And he would just smile and say, tell me more, brother. Tell me more. You know, what else did you do? What else did you learn? And then finally, after a couple of weeks, I'm with him and I, I look at him. He's got this big smile and emanating this peace. And I'm like, and I just break down. I start crying. I look and I said, you know, I said, man, he said, what's the matter, brother? And I said, I'm a fraud. So I'm a fraud, man. I for 16 years, I get up at 4 a.m. And religiously, I study this work. I meditate. I do this stuff. I've read everything. I've traveled the world. I've done everything there is to do to become enlightened. And I said, and I'm not. I don't feel that peace. I don't feel that joy truly. I feel, you know, I'm healthy. I'm My life's more vibrant, but there's something missing. I don't feel complete. And I said, and I look at you and you're enlightened. Tell me your secret. And he smiled this big giant smile. And he said, well, I'm glad you finally asked. Put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, brother, he said, I'm a Christian, man. And I just cracked up. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm like a Christian. You know, like, so, so, and when you read my book, you'll understand I had some, you know, like issues with running from God and hiding from God and afraid of God and, you know, looking for God in anything but in God kind of thing. And so, so I looked at him and shocked. I thought he was kidding. And then finally he said, no, really, I'm a Christian. I converted years ago. And that's how I finally myself, I was like you, I, I had all this great stuff going on, but I, I just couldn't quite feel complete. And this completed me. I said, okay, so fine. So what's the secret? And he looked at me and he said, read the Bible. <laughs> and I said, you know, like after wanting to actually punch him, you know, for, for that being, I'm like, what? <laughs> read the Bible. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, I say that jokingly. And he just said, he said, just read the Bible. So I said, okay, great. You know, listen, game on. I'm, I'm all in. I'll read the Bible. But then what? You know, what's the secret? And he looked at me and he just smiled and put his hand up and he said, read the Bible. 
And so July 15th, uh, July 25th, 2015, I picked up my first Bible and I said, you know what? If I got up at 4 a.m. every day and <laughs> did three hours of Eastern philosophies and meditation, I can read the Bible for an hour a day. So I picked up the Bible and every single day since then to this day, this morning, I read the Bible and, you know, and little by little and all this stuff, it's, it's, it's this, you know, I'm not a super religious guy. I don't know how to be that guy. I, I was 55 years old when I cracked the Bible for the first <laughs> time. So, but, but I can tell you that the reference of it being like the living word and that it speaks to you and that it heals you. And it did. And little by little, I was starting and I realized I had to sort of face these demons. And so I don't know that was that was the the sort of the the trigger for the next evolution, that last part three of the book we talked about, about coming home. And it didn't make all the problems go away. It didn't, my, you know, it wasn't like this snap of the fingers, a magic wand. There is no quick fix pill. But what it was, was it was this source of just power, wisdom, creation that leads you where you need to be and feeds you what you need to be fed exactly when you need it. And I, I can't explain it any more than that. That's about as, you know, religious as I can get with my explanations and stuff. But but that's what happened. And that's what changed that whole trajectory of life. So. You know, in reading your book and in knowing you, you know, there's a couple personal attributes that really stand out. You know, one you mentioned, you know, your uh, work ethic is just amazing. Yeah. And I think you also kind of alluded to, you know, once you decide to do something, you go gangbusters, right? You read up everything you can, whether it's a business thing or a religious thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend to people in those areas? Well, I think I think first that that's a great question. I think the first thing that we need to do is is decide when we're pursuing something, if we're pursuing it because we're running from something else, as opposed to being drawn to or gravitated to something that's that ignites us and is calling us. So I think the first piece of advice is because and that was a lot of my business you know, blowing up the, we call them failures, but they were really self implosions because I was more running from a lot of things, my life to the next thing, because I didn't like this thing. And I never took the time to sort of pull back and really connect with my calling, really connect with, you know, what is my purpose? What is it? What are my gifts? What are my unique skills that I do know each one of us on this planet in creation has unique gifts and something very important to offer the world, every one of us. And so I think the first piece of advice is, you know, if you're going to pursue anything, try to within it, find that thing that ignites you. Now that doesn't mean that because there's a difference between doing and being right. Like you can have a job that's a job that you understand is a job because it's a paycheck and it supports your family and you're grateful for it. This is a very good job that supports my family. And you can find your calling within the job in how you're being, not necessarily in what you're doing. So in other words, it, I'm not necessarily saying that everybody should just quit their job and pursue something that they're passionate about. 
But there's something that you're passionate about that if you can find it within your job, in the beingness, in your interactions, in your travels or whatever, great. And if you can't, find another job, you know, or better yet, find, you know, a vocation, something that that you can incorporate those gifts and skills. Like, you know, my wife uh, has a skill. She's a realtor, but she has this incredible gift of working with senior people and older people and really loves it. And she volunteered for hospice and memory care and cancer care and all these different things. And so with she does her job job, but within it, she has this these things she volunteers for. So it's important, I think, to find things that ignite us, to try to connect with those gifts we have that we're called to share with the world, to make the world a better place, and to sort of make our own lives more meaningful in applying that. So, so you know, the and, and if you're going to do something, whatever you're doing, you know, do it with grace, do it with dignity. If you took this, this time to do it, give it, give it your all, but but somewhere less than what I was doing. Yeah, I became obsessed with things, right? And, you know, there's a balance in there too, where you're balancing things. So I hope any of that made any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, you and I are on the same wavelength. Uh, and and part of, one of the things I want to touch on too is Richard Gore, right? You know, um, his famous book, Falling Upward, right? Where, right. You know, he talks about the first half of life and the second half of life. And, and you and I are both examples of that you know, in different ways, but pretty serious examples of that, right? So do, do you, I know you've read that book and you, you're familiar with, you know, what, what he's saying there. Does that the way you view things now too? I, I have to tell you, Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R for our viewers out there, and the book is Falling Upward. He runs a center. Um, center for Action and Contemplation. Action and Contemplation in, uh, in New Mexico. Yep. His books are amazing. And the book Falling Upward was really, really, really powerful for me. I read it recently. I read it after I wrote my book. And I'm like, wow, this like really explains a lot. And, and in it, you know, he talks about the two halves of life. And and it, I'll tell you where it really helped me immensely is I beat myself up for having wasted so much time or made so many mistakes in my youth or had been so fixated on getting those titles and those houses and those jobs and those positions and those possessions. And I almost vilified my own self for those ambitions. And when you read Richard Rohr's book, you realize that, no, that's what you're supposed to do in that phase of life, because that's the part of life that you're going through to learn all the tools and to hone all those gifts and to discover that who you are and what it is that does ignite you and what are your special gifts. You have to go through all that. And we do we do live in a physical world that we actually have to pay an electric bill and a mortgage and you know, and things like that. So, so the book was really healing for me. And I think it's a great read for anyone that's, that's in that phase, especially, you know, transitioning to the second half of life to, to sort of reconcile. It's all good. So Richard Rohr, all of his works are amazing because he talks about that, like it, that all of it, both sides of it are part of it. The complete picture includes everything. It includes everyone. And they're all, you know, they they all have their place in this evolution of life we're in super guy. Just, yeah. Yeah. I love well, it. Just love it. You know, I, like you, I didn't read it until after I had already gone through that transition myself. 
And, and people would tell me, so Brian, you got to read this book because it describes what you did. And yeah. I, really, okay, well, <laughs> and then sure enough, I mean, it, that whole, you know, metaphor of first half of life, second half of life was yeah. pretty applicable to, you know, what, what I experienced. So it's just, you know, when I see another example of that, like you, that is so clear, you know, um, in terms of those phases, it's just great, great to see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, from a career perspective, several times, you know, you had to decide something along the lines of what do I do next? Right. And, um, looking back on that and, and particularly, you know, more recently, have you really fl- reflected much on the processes that you either used or would recommend for a person who is in that kind of discernment phase? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think, I think for me, and and it happened recently. I I think when we sort of get to the place where it really has a lot to do with faith, it has a lot to do with faith to say, you know, okay, wait a minute, you know, like I, you look back on your life, and all of us can do it. And there were these so many times in life that there were insurmountable things that. We, when we were in them, we just were like, how am I ever going to get through this? And then in retrospect, you're like, oh yeah, I got, and, and you realize that not only did you get through it, we usually got through this stuff with a reasonable amount of grace, right? <laughs> like, and it's like, you look back and go, that, that was actually a good thing. You know, that actually was a stepping stone to get me from here to, you know, from, from here to there. So I, I think that, that surrendering a little bit to faith and really reflecting on really taking the time to to sort of you know like for me i go out and i hike in nature i trek in the foothills and i get these inspirations but things find you like i've been mentoring uh uh, several young people men or not necessarily even young quite a age range actually and i didn't seek it and i don't do it for a job or for money uh it's just people that would find me and say hey i wanted to have a cup of coffee and all of a sudden you open yourself up to hearing and seeing other people and that second half of life thing and and so i i think part of it is you know again i'll go back to for people that are seeking that are feeling that they're at a point in life where they want to change or they want to look for their next calling and they're trying to figure out how to go about it. I think the first thing I would say again is make sure that you're not just doing something to run from something else. Make sure you're doing something that really speaks to your heart, that really feels feels like you're being pulled towards it and then kind of just relax a little bit pray a little bit, pray a lot bit actually, <laughs> and, and let, you know, and, and, and have faith that, that the path is going to open up. And then when you've done that, you know, it was interesting because I never in my life went to therapy until recently, until after writing the book, during the book, I was like, wow, that way. It took me three years to write this book. There was like, when you read it, you'll understand there was a lot, a lot of red flags. A lot of processing that, that had to go on, right? But but I have, I really enjoy going to therapy and I never thought I would say that, you know, I mean, when I grew up, you, you didn't say those things. You didn't yeah. do those things. Right. Not with my father, but, but, uh, he, he taught, you know, one of the things he said to me the other day is I, you know, recently I said, you know, well, yeah, I have faith in this. He said, yeah, faith, but action. Mm. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, you know, faith, it's great. And it's very important to have faith, but you must take action. 
So everything I just said about, you know, make sure you're not running from something as opposed to being gravitated to something. Uh, try and find something, some part of it. it doesn't have to be, you know, in the job, but something in that arena that fulfills that highest, your highest ambitions. We have these drives in us. And by this point in life, each of us knows things that fulfill us and things that don't fulfill us. So uh, a big thing for me was, it was after deciding to, to, you know, really go towards those things that inspired me after surrendering to faith, it was, then it gets down to doing some action, right? That, you know, God's not going to do it for us. He's going to put it on our heart. He's going to give us whatever tools we need to transcend this thing, but he's not going to just do it for us. We have to take the action. He's going to give us the will to do it, but we have to act on that will. So take action, just get in motion. And for me, the research and stuff and to really get into it, a big part of it was what am I going to eliminate from my life that is not serving me that can make space for this thing that I want to pursue That's so, so desperately. So important. And, and, you know, and, and I did, when I wanted to write my book, it took so much out of me more so because I took every course there was for write dozens and dozens and dozens of courses. I read hundreds of books, literally I studied, I did part, you, you name it, whatever webinars, whatever I could get in, I sponged it and studied it. But in order to be able to do that, I had to make space. So I stopped, you know, during COVID, I think we all got addicted to Netflix and, and, you know, maybe too much drinking and whatever. I, so I just, you know, quit drinking. I quit Netflix. I decided that when I watched the news, it was not putting me in a good place or good spirit. So I cut way back on my news consumption and decided I need to be in charge of, you know, what I'm. And, and so eliminating whatever those things are that we can eliminate, and it doesn't mean necessarily bad things you're eliminating, just we have to make space. There's only so many hours in the day. Most of us have families and jobs and this and that. We have to make space for that research and that study. But the biggest single thing is just get in motion. And if you don't know what direction to go, yes, that just go north, south, east, west, doesn't matter. Just move because every time we move, once we get from that stagnated place that is so easy to stay in, well, I don't know what that's going to be. And if I do this, what's going to happen here? And if I leave this job or what is my, you know, family, what, you know, blah, blah, there's all these doubts and fear, but if you feel it, and you're truly going to something that inspires you and you're studying it and you're researching it, then you just got to move. And when you move in any direction, if you don't know the direction, no matter what direction that we move in, a door opens. It's remarkable. It's, it's just amazing how these doors open. And I went through so many doors that, that, that led me to places I never could have imagined that door would have led me to. So motion. <laughs> So uh, let's get back to your book. As I mentioned, it's called The Boy from the Cave. How is the book launch going? Uh, it's going It's going good. I try not to, you know, I try not to do that compare thing because then it's like you're looking at, you oh, know, yeah, comparing yeah. to, it's, it's torture. But it's going, I, I look at, there's so many people that I didn't expect to have read it that would read it and reach out and say, wow, you really helped me. I went and they tell me, all of a sudden they tell me their story. And that's exactly 
when you're writing a memoir, it's you, you don't really want the book to be. It is about you, but it's not about you. It's about our collective story. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest gift for me, I think, in it was realizing that somehow it inspired people to examine their own story and brought them to places of reflection and so forth. And that, to me, was the it, the only goal I had in writing the book, was hoping that it would make a positive impact in just one person's life. And now it's so many lives. So I think our stories are important. And I think we need to, you know, use our stories to inspire other people and influence other people. So well, it's clear that it would be really encouraging for people that are kind of in the middle of a wandering phase, right? You know, or or had some early life trauma, you know, that they're they're dealing with. So, you know, at least from my perspective, this is like spot on helpful for anybody like that. But you know, it, it even I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I had a strong you know need in 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 those directions, but it was certainly entertaining you know yeah at a minimum i mean because you said oh my gosh you know <laughs> that, that was the second part you know it was like if at, at a minute you know like entertain people with this because people read for a lot of reasons yeah you know, for like three reasons right you know and entertainment is a lot of them so it's this it's this journey it's like you know it's like kind of the it, people have compared it to like uh, glass castle that kind of a story you know educated those things of this sort of this uh dysfunction and this wild story that you go wow that's like crazy but but within it there's i think there's a lot of you know i i hope there's some good messaging in there and inspiration in there and things like that so uh, i know we were still in the midst of launching the book but i have to ask you what's next you know do you have any ideas you know for another book or another project or i i you know it's funny i st i actually started sort of started my next book but i'm kind of like stepping back going do i really want it because once i start it you know that's a whole path no but some interesting stuff in my in my former work life came opportunities came to me and i've met some really neat people so i'm kind of really enjoying just um existing in my circles that i'm in now and being able to just be me authentic and not ha and just more be who life. i am for the first time right now so uh yeah so what's next is i i really am enjoying like sort of the mentoring and interacting with people and sharing those stories i enjoy uh being vulnerable being uh, uh able to say to people you know it's okay to say the truth of how you feel we don't you know need to put on this front and i think today with all the social media stuff with these young people it's a it's just it's 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 just this crazy world of people trying to live up and measure up and compare themselves and so i just think uh you know i don't know for me it's the mentoring uh yes i definitely want to write another book and i'm i'm just i'm just tiptoeing into that because it's kind of like you know a slippery slope well, then there's no rush, right? You know, you still got yeah. plenty of years ahead of you. And, you know, you, I'm sure, you know, over the upcoming period of your life, you'll find all kinds of interesting things to do. So um, there's no, no concern in my mind about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, congratulations on this fantastic new book. I'm so glad to read it and so glad to meet you. And, uh, um, and by the way, you know, Mark's a veteran of writing for your life, uh, you know, and, uh, as part of his yeah, writing yeah. journey, he, he was, uh, you know, uh, a big participant there. So that was wonderful. 
Um, yeah, and again, really you know, good. check it out uh, wherever books can be found. And um, in particular at Mark's website, markabannon.com. So, Mark, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.